account of the children of Israel conquering the first city in the promised land, and that would be uh, this place called Jericho. Uh, When you look at this right here, the account of the conquest of Jericho is primarily a lesson in faith, which when exercised by God's people will bring about God's power in granting the promised, promised land in our lives. You know, um, it's not all up to God. There are some people who say, you know what, it's just God. It's the sovereignty of God. You've got nothing to do with it. And that's not true. That's not biblical. You know, God wants to do a work in your life. He wants to make you a certain man. God wants to give you things from heaven. He wants to pour out the, the blessings, man. He wants to just let loose. But, you know, we need to exercise this thing called faith. And what we're going to see in Joshua chapter 6 is a great lesson. You know, we're asking God, how do uh, you know I exercise faith? How can... I know I have a stronger faith. Well, I think one of the ways of uh, having a stronger faith really is just by reading the Bible and learning some great lessons like we're going to learn today in Joshua chapter 6. As a matter of fact, the New Testament commentary clearly reveals that to us, that this chapter is really a chapter of faith because it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. You see, it's by faith, you guys. It's by faith that the walls will fall down that separate you sometimes from God, that separate you sometimes from your brothers or your sisters, that separate you from all the things that God wants to do in your life and through your life. It's by faith that the walls will fall down. It's not brain belief. It's not superficial intellectual assent. But it's a true and total trust in God that's harbored in the heart, that takes God at his word. It's a word that you read and you heed from the Bible. It's a word that God whispers into your heart as you're sitting at his feet and you can hear the voice of God speaking to you personally. That's what I'm talking about. When God gives you his word and then you act on his word. It's a still small voice when you have an ear to hear him and you totally trust him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, you want the walls to fall down, you guys, because those walls are separating us from things that God wants to do in this world that we live in. But those walls will only fall down when we exercise faith and we will only exercise faith when we really hear God's voice to our life. You see? And that's the way it works. It's very simple. You've got to listen. You've got to listen. You've got to dial in. You've got to fall on your face. You've got to spend time with the Lord, devotional time. You've got to be in the Word. You've got to have a heart to learn God's Word. And as you're there, He will speak to you, and then you have a decision whether or not you want to obey. But when you take those steps of faith, God will move and walls will fall down. It's a huge faith factor in our life. You know, if you think about it, you guys, by faith alone, we're saved. By faith alone, we're sanctified. It's only by faith that we can be all that God wants us to be. And it's by faith we can receive all that God wants us to have. How many of you here want everything that God has for you? Don't you want everything? You know, I'm not talking about the Hummer. I'm talking about the heart, right? I'm not talking about the things that money can buy. I'm talking about the things of the kingdom, not the money, not the mansion. I would rather have the mission. Much more. Those are the things that we access how? By faith. 
been said that faith is the currency of eternity. And if you think about it, when there's firm faith, there's always action that follows. Why? Because faith is never dull or dead. It's not passive or stagnant. But true faith is active in obedience to God, even in waiting at times. Because sometimes we have to wait with eager expectation and great anticipation. It always has action. James chapter 2, verse 18 says, Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith. How? By my works, you guys. You know, there's a lot we can say about faith. You know, Jesus is looking for faith, according to Luke 18, verse 8, and he marvels, he trips out when we don't have it. Mark chapter 6, verse 6, it says, and he marveled, why? Why did he marvel? Because of their unbelief, that's why. And so we end up limiting God in Matthew 13, 58. It says, now he did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. And so there's so much that we can say about the importance of faith. I pray that we would be people of faith. But a couple of things that we're going to see in Joshua, one we've already touched on, and that is this. Number one, fear and faith are mutually exclusive. If you start making your decisions based solely on fears, you will be led astray. You will be led out of the will of God. God told Joshua, God told the people over and over and over again, do not be afraid. And so fear and faith, they're mutually exclusive. Fear is actually the antithesis to faith. It's what keeps so many people out of the promised land. That's number one. Number two is this, and we're going to see this in our chapter today. Faith and foolishness are compatible. Did you hear what I said? Faith and foolishness are compatible. And so let me qualify that statement, however, by explaining what I mean is that sometimes the things we believe and the way we behave, they look foolish to the world. And without the personal word of the Lord, they actually would be. But when we believe and behave in a way that might look foolish in and of itself, and yet it's actually done in accordance to the word and whisper of God, it's not only compatible with faith, it actually demonstrates faith. You know, and that seems to really be the emphasis of Joshua chapter 6. God's battle plan is to march around the city. Think about this. I want you guys to conquer this city. How are you going to do it? Well, march around the city one time, six days in a row, and then on the seventh day, which is the day you'll actually fight, I want you to march around the city seven times. Let the Ark of the Covenant, which is symbolic of God's presence, go with you. Then blow the shofar off and on, but don't say a word for the first six days. But then on the seventh day, after you've done marching, then blow the shofar for a very long time. And I want all the people of Israel to shout like crazy. <laughs> Sounds crazy, huh? That was God's battle plan and if you really think about it from a human perspective foolishness right but it's god's word to the people and therefore we see that fear and faith are mutually exclusive but fear and foolishness they're oftentimes compatible it sounded foolish but by faith what happened they obeyed and that's what we're going to learn, I think, as Christians. And unless we get past this, which is the very first city in the promised land, all that other stuff will never come to pass. We've got to learn this lesson. Look what we read here in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1. 
It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Here we see the promise of God. You know, God says to Joshua, and he asks him a question. Can you see Jericho? There they are. They're petrified. No one's coming in. No one's going out. God promises him, I give you the city, the king, and the mighty men of valor. You see, we see here God's word, God's promise, along with another important element of faith, and that is this. Not only do we need to hear God's word, we need to see God's word. And for a lot of us here, and I think sometimes for myself included, man, we're walking around as Christians, and the bottom line is your eyes are not open. We're not seeing the things that are right there in front of us. And God says to Joshua, see? See? Can't you see? They're not coming in. They're not going out. I have given Jericho into your hands. You know, the Lord actually physically, tangibly shows us things that his hand is in the whole process, you know? And what we need to do, you guys, is cultivate spiritual ears and spiritual eyes. That then strengthens our faith even more. But sometimes I wonder, you know, from my own life, Manny, are you really listening? Are you really listening? Manny, are you really looking? You know, Jesus said, he who has an ear, let him hear seven times in the book of Revelation. And we need to take the wax out of our ears. I think we need to take the eye salve, an ointment for the infection in our eye. Do you really see the things that God wants to show you? You know, I'm reminded of the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 when the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army to get the prophet Elisha. They came to him by night and they surrounded the city. One of Elisha's servants, he saw the horses and chariots and the great army of the Syrians surrounding the city. And so he came to Elisha and he said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha said, Do not fear. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now I'm sure at that point the servant was wondering, What in the world are you talking about, Elisha? I mean, I know you're a prophet. I know you've experienced a lot, but you need to get your heads out of the clouds. You need to get your feet back on the ground. We're about to die. You're talking foolishness. And so what was the servant's problem? He couldn't see. He didn't have eyes to see the things that God was showing him. And so we read in 2 Kings 6.17, Elisha prayed, Lord, you open his eyes. Open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, when you can see the things that God wants to show you, see, I've given Jericho into your hands. If you can hear the promises of the Lord, the city, the king, the mighty men of valor, it's all yours. Then you will go forward in your life as a Christian. You guys, we got to take steps of faith. You know, I don't know what the Lord's been showing you, but man, if there's nothing on your list and something's wrong, we've got to be listening to the Lord a little bit better than that. 
You know, what are the things that God is challenging you in? You know, and I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, conquering cities, man. And a lot of times it's just conquering yourself. You know, reading with your wife, praying with your wife, sometimes even reading by yourself, praying to God, getting on your face. Different things involved with ministry, whatever it is. I know this, man. God is not stagnant. God is not passive. He wants us to grow. You know, we can never be content with where we're at. I thank God for the salvation he's given to us, man. But we want more of him in our life. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. That's the promise. And then we read the plan. Look what it says in verse 3. This is the plan. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This shall you do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. You see, God gave the promise, and then God gave the plan. It's God's perfect plan. That's why, you know, one of the things you see here often in this chapter is the number seven. Because the number seven uh, is the number of perfection. It's God's perfect plan. Um, let me read to you what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, the emphasis is on the number seven. Seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days of marching, seven circuits of the city on the seventh day. It's almost like a tongue twister, huh? <laughs> the number seven is written clearly into the life of Israel. The Sabbath is celebrated on the seventh day of the seventh week. Uh, seven weeks from Passover is the Pentecost. The seventh year is the sabbatical year. And after 49 years, which is seven times seven, comes the year of Jubilee. Three of Israel's feasts fall on the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. In biblical numerology, the number seven represents completeness or perfection. Listen to this. The Hebrew word translated seven comes from a root word that means to be full, to be satisfied. When God finished his work of creation, he rested on the seventh day and sanctified it, and this helped give the number seven its sacred significance. The Jews noted that there were seven promises in God's covenant with Abraham, seven branches on the candlestick in the tabernacle, and anything involving the number seven was especially sacred to them. It spoke, here it is, of God's ability to finish whatever he started. Isn't that beautiful? God's ability to finish whatever he started. And we see that right here in the book of Joshua chapter 6. God started a work in the, in the children of Israel, man, and through their faithful cooperation, it's the beautiful thing, he was going to finish it. But they needed to submit to his plan. And so Joshua in verse 6, he speaks to the priests. Notice it says, Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And then Joshua speaks to the people and specifically the soldiers in verse 7. He said to the people, 
proceed and march around the city, and that him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord? You know, when you look at this, and you guys think about it, I don't know if you've caught it yet, but, you know, I've been reading this over and over and over again. What I want you guys to do, soldiers in the front, the Ark of the Covenant in the middle, soldiers in the back, march around the city. It was about a nine-acre city. March around it once, boom, every day. For six days, boom, you march around it. And you're blowing trumpets. I don't know if they're singing a song. I'm not sure, but they're blowing trumpets, you know. And then on the seventh day, what I want you to do is I want you to march around seven times. Everybody shouts, and the walls fall down. Simple plan, huh? But a little strange, wouldn't you say? (laughs) I mean, it would really be a testing of their faith. And let me tell you something. God will test your faith. God will test your faith. You know, when God speaks to you by his spirit because you're really listening, God will test your faith. It's a crazy thing, you know. It would have been easy to question, even if you think about it, Joshua's leadership at this point. Because the Lord told Joshua... And then Joshua told the priests. Joshua told the people. They probably were wondering, Joshua, are you okay? I mean, so much of your plan, Joshua, doesn't make sense. Wouldn't marching around the city make you tired? Why would you do that seven times on the day you're supposed to fight? And why are you using the shofar? Anyways, the Bible says in the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 9, that you're supposed to use the silver trumpets. And did you say that we're supposed to fight on the seventh day? Joshua, don't you know that the seventh day is the Sabbath day? It's a holy day. We're not supposed to do any work on that. Joshua, come here, come here. Take a look at these walls. They're huge walls. You know, archaeology tells us that around the city of Jericho, there were actually two sets of walls. The first, when you factor in the embankment, was 46 feet above the ground. And the second was six feet thick, thick and 26 feet high. I mean, think about this. Joshua, do you see that? I think we need a different plan. You know, the plan from a human perspective was a foolish plan. But what did the Israelites do? They disobeyed, huh? They obeyed. How did they obey? By faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And you and I, unless we pass that, you know, that place, you know, we've got to understand that we're not going to get anywhere until we take God at his word. You know, we see in verse 8, it says, So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. I don't know if you see it, um, but the reality is they just obeyed. They didn't question. They didn't complain. They just obeyed. It was foolishness. In the eyes of man. But it was faith that would access the power of God to bring down the walls. You know, it's not just marching. As a matter of fact, they were so obedient. Look what we read in verse 10. It says, Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, 
You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. And there was girls there too. Think about this for a second. (laughs) And they couldn't talk, you know. And I don't know the details of this. Maybe he's just talking about, you know, uh, in, in context, you know, of our battle or whatever. But, you know, I mean, they were, you know, obedient to the point of even taming their tongue. You know, and I think, just as a quick side note right here, if I could just say this right here, if we could tame our tongue, um, wouldn't a lot of walls fall down? <laughs> you know, wouldn't a lot of fights cease? Wouldn't we be able to make progress if we could just say things the Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is necessary for edification? The things that you say that build up your wife, that build up your kids, that build up the people around you, the Bible says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. It's an amazing thing when we tame the tongue. But the silence for six days, you take a lot of self-control. It was spiritual control. And God was working in the congregation. They, they just did what the Lord asked them to do. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the, Christ, uh, head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the body, and he's the Savior. You know, you just go on and on, parents and children and whatever it is, workers and life, Christians, ministers, wherever you're at. You know, you just do the things that God calls you to do. And life is very simple. And at the same time, life is very powerful. It's just by faith. It goes against the grain of who we are. It goes against the flow of the world. But that's all right. We march by faith. And so we read in verse 11, so he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And so they did six days. Again, you have the soldiers in front, the Ark of the Covenant there in the middle, symbolic of the Lord's presence. The seven priests blowing the seven trumpets, not long blasts, but shorter ones, continually being blown. You have the soldiers in the rear guard marching around the city, and they do this for six days. Now, I'm not sure if they were tired at this point, but look what you read in verse 15. It says, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I just love that, you know. I mean, shout. And the shofar was actually a trumpet used for celebration. It was kind of like celebrate the victory in advance. 
And a lot of us don't like to do that. But God says, now, you know what? You guys shout like crazy, you know? It says in verse 17, now the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And, and you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. And we'll get touch on this more when we get into Achan. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, and donkey with the edge of the sword. You see, the marching was part of the plan, and they were obedient in that. The blowing of the trumpets was part of the plan, and they were obedient in that. The shouting was part of the plan. This would break down the walls. And then once they were in the city, they were to spare Rahab and her family with her. We saw that in Joshua chapter 2. But everyone else would be judged, and everything else was supposed to be given to the Lord. No one was to take plunder for themselves. And so we read in verse 20 once again, that when they shouted, the walls fell down. And you look at that and you're like, wow. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of that band Cutlass. They have a cool song that's called uh, What Faith Can Do. You know, and that's so important for us to understand. You know, what faith can do. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You know, we need to be, you know, believers tonight. You know, a lot of times people say, well, yeah, I'm a believer. Why? Because you're a Christian. But sometimes you're not a believer anymore now that you're a Christian. You're a non-believer now. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved, but things aren't happening. A lot of times because we're not really taking God at his word. You know, God help us to listen and to look and to pray and obey and to walk by faith and not by sight. To reach that point in our life where we agree with Jesus who said in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I think that's a very important verse for us. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and, and they follow me. That's really what life as a Christian is all about. You know, to where we come to that place in our heart where our motto is, God said it, and that settles it. You know, it might look foolish, but it's not foolish. Because God has given you marching orders. You know, I remember the account of Naaman. He was the commander of the army of Syria, who was probably a, a good man, but uh, he was a leper. And one day the Syrians went out. They brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, who then waited on Naaman's wife. One day she said, if only my master, in reference to Naaman, 
If only he could go to the prophet Elisha there in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. And so, you know, to make a, a long story short, word got back to Naaman, who eventually found Elisha. And he says, man, I'm going to go to this guy. He's going to heal me of my leprosy. But the plan from Elisha, he sent a messenger to Naaman. And he says, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Well, Naaman was furious. He said, what kind of a plan is that? I mean, I expected him to come out and to kind of wave his hand over me or, you know, there's a lot better rivers in Syria. That's a foolish plan. But he thought it was a foolish plan. Why? Because it wasn't his plan. It wasn't according to the way he would have done it, right? And so as he's going away, he was that close, or maybe that close, man, to living within the walls of leprosy for the rest of his life because he thought that the plan of God was foolish. But then someone, it was a friend of his, he talked to him. He said, hey, man, try it. Take a step of faith. If it was hard or heroic, you'd probably do it. But this is just letting God be God. This is just letting God do the work. This is just letting God wash you of your leprosy and to cleanse you of your sins. And so Naaman said, okay. And he submitted to the plans of the prophet who he thought was foolish. And the Bible says as a result of him taking that step of faith that his flesh was restored to him like the flesh of a child. You see, God will do that. God will speak. The question is, number one, are we listening? Are we really listening? Are we really looking? And then question number two, when you hear those marching orders, that sometimes they don't make a whole lot of sense, are you willing to follow God? See, that's Christianity in a nutshell. That's the key for Christians. It's not common sense. It's not. It's not creativity. It's not human ingenuity. It's not, you know, man's productivity. The key for Christians is obedience by faith. That's why when God told the little dude named David to fight the giant, he fought the giant and won. That's why when God told Gideon to scale down the army from 22,000 soldiers to 300 soldiers, he did and they won. And in their weakness, God was made strong. You know, we've got to listen to the Lord. It sounds foolish, but it's really not. It's like the message of the cross. Really, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. You know, some would consider a lot of things that God really asks us to do foolish. You know, some would consider prayer uh, to be a foolish waste of time. What do you do in praying? Why don't you go and do something about it? You know, some would consider paying tithes to be a foolish form of spending your money. And yet we know that if we don't pray and if we don't pay to God what belongs to God, giving his, him time, giving him his treasures, that that is actually foolish among those who profess to follow God, right? You know, some would consider submission to be foolish. Huh, for wives to submit or workers to submit. You know, some would consider a mission to the jungles of Ecuador, especially for someone who has a college education. How foolish that is. And yet when God gives the marching orders, we know 
The only foolishness is not to go. Some would consider a single person waiting on the Lord for marriage who's not caught in seeking a spouse, just seeking the Lord. You know, the world would consider that person foolish. They'd say, hey, get out there on the dance floor. (laughs) You know, make yourself known. Show yourself to be available. So what if he's not a Christian? He's a good guy and he makes good money, honey. A lot of times people are like that, right? They consider a lot of the things that we do as Christians to be foolish. And yet we know it's not. It's by faith that we do the things that God calls us to do. You know, what I'm trying to say basically is this, is that we, I, we need to really listen to the Lord. We need to drown out all those other voices, the voice of sometimes even common sense, and really listen to the Lord. You know, if people are telling you that God doesn't speak to us anymore, it's because either they don't have a personal relationship with God or their relationship with God is not right. Why? Because they have not been spending time with Him alone. God does speak to us personally, right? And He will give you marching orders. He will speak through His written word, and at times He will speak in a still, small voice. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12 talks about how God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, it talks about how God led Nehemiah. How? By putting things on his heart. John chapter 10, verse 27, we already saw that God, you know, he, he, you know, his sheep hear his voice. And then Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says that Jesus is there. He's knocking at the door. And he wants to come in and sit down with you and sup with you. And talk to you. You see, it's very simple. The foolish orders in God's plans are not really foolish after all. To the natural man they are. But to those who are being saved, you guys, it is the power of God. And we see this today. We see it by faith. Number one, sanctification. Israel coming into Jericho. And number two, salvation. Rahab going out of Jericho. Because look what it says in verse 22. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. And so they brought out all her relatives and let them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now we see here that Rahab and her relatives were saved by faith. And again, the New Testament commentary is found in Hebrews 11.31, where it says, By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. You see, it's by faith. It's a a chapter in which we see the walls fell down by faith and Israel was able to go in. We see it's by faith that the walls fell down and Rahab was able to go out. 
That as the word of God comes to our heart, we're listening in a personal relationship with God. We're looking and we're seeing at all the things that he's doing that we're making our decisions based on faith. You see, a lot of times Warren Risby, he kind of brought this out when he was going through this chapter right here. He said, a lot of times what we do is we make our plans. Okay, God, I'm going to do this. And then we tell him to bless it. Bless my plans, right? And that's not the way we're supposed to do it, you guys. What we're supposed to do is pray. We pray, we ask God for his plans. He will bless his plans. You see, and that's the way it works. You know what I do? I have a, 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 an app on my iPhone and it gives me my daily schedule, you know. And so I have those types of things, but I always ask the Lord, Lord, if you want to change anything on here, please do. And then every morning, I, I encourage you guys, get with the Lord, ask him. You know, I know this might sound crazy to some of you, but I challenge you, when you wake up in the morning, ask God what he might want you to do today that might be different. God might speak to you. We've got to live a life like that. It's so important. Otherwise, we're calling the shots. I believe that a life, and a, a life as a Christian is a daily fellowship with God in which we take up our cross, we deny ourselves. We sit at his feet. And he speaks to our heart. It's by faith that we can go in and possess the promised land. It's by faith that we get out of all these crazy places that we might find ourselves trapped in. Israel is an example. Rahab is an example. Both of them progressing by faith. And it's interesting, you guys. Uh, there's a lot of archaeological studies on Jericho. And the archaeological excavations show us the destruction of Jericho and they found uh, a layer of burned ash and debris that was three feet thick. And so they knew that this place had been destroyed by fire. Not only that, you know, when they look at the walls of Jericho, they see them tumbling down. It's kind of interesting. When you look at the walls, there's one right here, one right here. These walls fell down, actually. It's amazing. They fall all the way down right here. And you know what that did? That allowed the soldiers to kind of go up the steps of the, all the bricks that were there. And they came up, just like the Bible says, go up every man and, and utterly destroy the people. It's an amazing thing. But their only explanation for the walls to fall down is an earthquake, right? And, you know, of course, we know that God could definitely use an earthquake. But the interesting thing is this. This is crazy, man. That on the north side of Jericho, the walls didn't fall. And you'll never guess what the German excavations of 1907 through 1909 found there. You know what they found? Houses. <laughs> Houses. Undoubtedly, there on the north side was the house of who? Rahab. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. You look at that and you're like, wow, how? It was by faith. And I'm telling you this right here. It doesn't take a rock and scientist to figure out, man, that you and I, we need to have a personal relationship with God in which he speaks to your heart. He tells you how to live life and you go out and you do it. It might sound foolish. It might seem foolish. It probably is. God's going to test your faith sooner or later. And the question is, will you take that step of faith? Will you obey? You read in verse 26, and then Joshua charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. 
And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. See, Jericho was supposed to be a perpetual monument of victory by simple, solid faith in the living God. It was not to be rebuilt. That was really what Joshua was trying to bring to pass. The witness was not to be erased. And so Joshua pronounces the curse to anyone, a costly curse to anyone who would ever rebuild it. But tragically, we know 500 years later, if you go over to 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, that's exactly what happened in the days of Ahab. Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid his foundation with Abram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. His sons died. His sons died because that man didn't do what God told him to do. You see the consequences? The consequences of disobedience and the consequences of obedience? I want to encourage you today, you guys. If you are not spending quiet time alone with God, you know, then get rid of whatever you got to get rid of. Get radical. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Do whatever type of surgery that's necessary for you to spend time with God. Jesus would do it. He'd go and spend time alone with his father. And you watch. I know this. I know this without a shadow of a doubt. When you're praying, God speaks to you. And God tells you what you need to do in life. And then what you need to do is then you need to go out and do it. And you start marching around the city of Almani. I think that's what he's telling you to do, right? You know, sometimes you'll get people and they'll start, oh, this is our church. We're going to start marching around it, right? And, you know, I'm not saying God can't tell you to do that, but that's kind of weird. No. <laughs> All I'm saying is that the Lord will speak to you and the Lord will tell you things that you need to do. You see, this prophecy came true. God's word is true. For us, it really should be so simple. Let's close over in John chapter 2 real quick. We kind of see the same thing. And we see it over and over and over again. But you guys remember the, the wedding feast? It was Jesus' uh, beginning of signs here in John chapter 2. It says in verse 5, His mother said to the servants, oh, I'm sorry, verse 1, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And so Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. There's a certain element of resistance. There's a certain element of like, I don't know. You know what? It's not time yet. But you see, Mary, although you know we, we shouldn't pray to her or worship her or whatever, you guys don't get weird like that. You know, she was a godly woman. And here we see, you know, her taking the step of faith. And so this is the way she works it out. This is the way she ends it. It says right here in verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And that is all I'm trying to share with you in Joshua chapter 6. Whatever he says to you, do it. And whatever you do, man, listen to what he says to you. God loves you. You know, you're not an exception. You're not like, oh, I'm not going to talk to him. 
I'm not going to talk to her. There's not a person here. God will talk to you. If you're not right, he'll tell you what you need to do to get right. If you are right, he'll tell you what to do to be everything, to gain everything. God will speak to you. And whatever he says to you, do it. Even if it seems foolish in the world's eyes. Because notice what it says right there. It says in verse 6, Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Okay, so there's six of them. Each one is, we'll just say, you know, 20 gallons, 30 gallons. Now, that's, you know, 150 gallons of water. Okay, so what they did was they went and they got the water hose and they filled them all up, right? No, they didn't get it. They didn't do that. You know what they had to do? They had to draw from the well, bucket after bucket, after bucket, after bucket of water. How foolish this is. What is she trying to make us do? What a silly plan. What does he want us to do? How foolish this is. But see, it was God's plan. How God would take the water and transform it into wine and how they had a responsibility to do what? Man, whatever he says to you, do it. It might look foolish in the world's eyes, but I'm telling you, man, that that's the stuff that miracles are made of. We just got to listen. We really got to listen to the Lord. And as he speaks to us, and as we're looking, and all these things come together, I really believe that God is going to do a great and awesome work in our lives, you guys. I don't know what he has planned for you, man. Maybe you'll go to Cambodia next year. That would be cool huh, if we all went. Some of you are like, no way, Jose, I'm never going to Cambodia. Hey, man, you never know. Be open or whatever it is. I don't know what it is that God is calling you to do. But I would like, and as I was uh, getting ready for today's study, I was thinking, okay, I would like to give you a homework assignment, man. This is my homework assignment for you, okay? Spend time with God. Just you and the Lord. You know, go away somewhere, man. Get into your closet. Go in the backyard, wherever it is. Give God a half an hour of your time, just you and him. And just pray. Just get into the word maybe a little bit and you pray. And you ask God, Lord, what is it that you need to tell me? What is it that you need to tell me? And, 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 and then you, you write it down and then you act on it. Now, if you come back and you say, Manny, God didn't tell me anything. He didn't say anything. You know what I'm going to tell you? Get back over there, man. <laughs> I'm telling you right now that God, he will speak to you if you really listen. And that's not supposed to be something we do on a special assignment, you know, once a week on, you know, Friday mornings. That is supposed to be something that we do every single day of our life. And I know it's a hard thing to do, but whatever you do, don't ever stop fighting for that quiet time between you and God, because that's the way it works. You know, Joshua got the plans and then he followed through and look what God did. Maybe God wants to make you a Joshua. I believe he does in many of our lives. And so, Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. I, I, I think of that man, Lord. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. How sometimes, Lord, it, it can be tough. But I really do believe that you speak to us and that you want us to follow, Lord. You want walls to fall down, walls that trap us. Walls that hold us back from 
the promised land, from entering into that land of victorious Christian living, Father, for our family, for the ministry, for whatever it is that you want to do in society. Lord, I pray that everyone here would have a heart like Isaiah that says, here am I. Send me. Do whatever you want to do in my life. I'm open and I'm available. Stir us up, Father God, I pray. You'd increase our faith. Increase my faith, God. I want to be that man that you want me to be. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon our hearts tonight. Touch every person here, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.